I'm Kate Daniels. I imagine I'm not alone in looking around at the state of business, work, literally our lives, and thinking, what is going on? What can we do to turn the tide of some of the big issues facing us? We don't have to look very far to find the solutions. They are us. Us more informed, though, and ready to collaborate. It begins right now as we meet Professor Thomas Koken from MIT's Sloan School of Management, where he teaches work and employment relations. It is Professor Koken's new book, which is going to guide us along a path of informed and educated change. The book is Shaping the Future of Work. So let's meet Professor Koken now. Professor Thomas Koken, good morning. Thank you so, so greatly for being with us this morning. Well, good morning, Kate. It's good to be here. I so greatly appreciate the work that you do. It's It feels like it's so fundamental to each and every individual. Your new book, Shaping the Future of Work, What Future Worker, Business, Government, and Educational Leaders Need to Do for All to Prosper, I think just has incredible information really a great overview of history and something that should be required reading for, I think, the masses. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. Uh, I really do believe that the time is is right for us to engage these issues, and we need to understand our history, not so that we repeat it or try to uh, you know go back to some sort of good old days, but we learn from it, and then we we start to address the problems facing the workforce today in 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 ways that reflect the the economy that we have and so that was the goal so that we don't leave our children or our grandchildren with such an economic mess that they can't realize their hopes and their their aspirations for the future and i think perhaps you capture that desire in this part of the title what's needed to do for all to prosper isn't that significant? It's not just this segment or that segment to think about each and every individual, certainly in this country, that's what we're looking at. But really, we need to also consider how it affects all of us. So I think that in taking a look at this and the message that is here, as we would work on what is important in this country, we can affect that kind of change all over the world, would you say? Well, absolutely. We have uh, experienced 30 years of division with uh, productivity growing in one direction, but wages staying flat with inequality growing. And now we're feeling a lot of that frustration as we see it play out in the political realm today. So we've got to address these issues or we will have a very frustrated workforce out there in the future. And if we take the positive actions, then we will demonstrate to the world that the good old American sense of common values and, and uh, care for each other and ability to be pragmatic about solving our, our problems and meeting our challenges is still alive and well. And I think that would give confidence uh, to other countries as well. So looking at the history and seeing that we did have uh, really an incredible time of prosperity, uh, I think the New Deal led up to that with President Roosevelt. But then after the war, there was really a good time of things going well. And then all of a sudden, it seemed uh, that we went into a, a pretty incredible decline. 
Well, the the beauty of what happened after World War II is we had a foundation, as you mentioned, the New Deal labor legislation that provided Social Security and minimum wages and unemployment insurance and the right for employees to join a union and engage in collective bargaining. That provided a floor that said, okay, now you can work together, labor and management, to increase wages as the economy grows and as productivity grows. And we developed a set of processes through collective bargaining and modern personnel management to help all uh, groups move up together. But then around 1980, that broke down. The economy changed. We went into a deep recession. The politics changed. Corporations narrowed down their notion that they only exist to maximize short-term shareholder value and so on. And we've lost sight of the need to work together to respect our differences, to negotiate uh, fair uh, compromises that that address our, our, our different interests. And we've got to get back to that norm and we've got to do it in a way that, that reflects today's diverse workforce and economy. So that foundation was so instrumental, it uh, wasn't necessarily easy to have it come forward, but I don't think it was particularly difficult. The, it was put forward, and it was uh, virtually embraced, I think, by the majority of the population, business and labor alike. Well, it took a, a major political shift to get there. It, you know, we came out of the 1920s when the notion was the business of America is business. Uh, and so business groups resisted the New Deal. But once it was in place, they began to see that this actually works for them as well. At least the good companies, the companies that really wanted to grow and really wanted to uh, provide good jobs, found that they could they could do so and also make good profits. And that's the world that I think is possible for us today because we have learned how to build companies that uh, uh, increase productivity, that invest in their workforce, that build a loyal and, and highly skilled uh, uh, workforce and organization. And by doing that, we can both prosper and we can provide good jobs. But too many companies are still living uh, in the past where they think their job is to control the labor force and to minimize wages and to fight unions from gaining uh, a voice uh, uh, for, for people at work. And those, those conflicts are holding back our economy and our society from solving our problems. And so... We've got to uh, recommit to working together, to respecting the diversity of interests that we have in the workplace and in the workforce and in society, and then have a, a, a modern set of public policies that allow workers to uh, uh, to navigate a, a very, very uh, uh, flexible labor market. So the question is, does this come from political policy, from governmental policy to institute this? All companies have to follow this? Or is there a way for companies that are not following that kind of path to do what companies that are successful? We might talk about a couple of examples of companies that are doing this, that are engaging with the workers and are proving that they're doing quite well. 
Well, there are all kinds of great examples of companies that are doing well that we can learn from. In the airline industry, we often focus on Southwest Airlines because they have been uh, the most profitable airline over the many years. They are highly unionized, but they have a very strong partnership arrangement with their workers and their union representatives where they all focus on how do we really provide great customer service, how do we work to keep our prices low, but also how do we turn these airplanes around quickly when they land and when they're in the airports by all working together, by pitching in and being flexible and and helping each other out to make sure that we uh, um, uh, manage our jobs safely, efficiently, and with an eye toward customer service. That allows them to have a very productive workforce, and it supports then good wages and good jobs. That's the kind of organization that uh, so many people in in our uh, society look to as a model for how uh, we want to work together and how we can prosper together. We see it in other industries as well. We see it in retail. If we compare Costco with Walmart, we can see that there are very big differences in the quality of service that you get at Costco and in the quality of the the employees because they they've been trained they're longer term employees they have the flexibility to solve customer problems and so on compared to the Walmart experience and so we can do this uh there's no magic to it but it takes determination it takes will and it takes employees and customers demanding that kind of quality of 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 service and quality of 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 organization uh, uh, when when they interact uh, with these firms. And I think there's another uh, good example that we might touch on or have you touch on, and that's in the medical arena with Kaiser Permanente. Yes, and you have uh, experience with Kaiser Permanente out in your neck of the woods, and I think they've just uh, acquired uh, a healthcare organization in, in Washington as well. Yes. So. Kaiser Permanente is a very interesting organization because it's both a health insurance company and a, a company that provides medical care through hospitals and, and clinics and outpatient services and so on. And over the years, they've been highly unionized and they've built a partnership with their unions to say, we are going to work together to improve patient care, to make this a great place to work to use advanced electronic medical records, technologies uh, to serve our our patients well and to reach out into the communities. And here you have an organization that uh, has been on the front end of innovation in healthcare and also provides uh, industry-leading wages for nurses, for technicians, and for service employees. So that's the kind of organization that Yes, they have their own conflicts, and nothing is perfect in any organization, but they work through those conflicts to uh, meet the needs of their their, uh, patients and to meet the needs of employees. So when we have these good examples of what is succeeding, what is it? Is there some kind of thing that stands in the way of other companies seeing this model, these examples, where things are working well? And and yes, there are things to work through. But what is preventing other companies from really also moving forward and wanting to provide living wages, good health insurance, and 
good working conditions for their employees? Let's start with uh, what I think is the core problem, and that is this fixation by some and by particularly uh, many people in the finance industry that companies only exist to maximize shareholder value and, by the way, you better do it on a quarterly basis. So there's tremendous pressure on companies from Wall Street to uh, have these quarterly earnings, to keep uh, uh, stock owners and uh, happy and keep share prices growing. And then they tie CEO compensation to uh, share prices through stock options. And that creates a vicious cycle where firms uh, don't invest for the long run because they're, they got to keep their costs down. They don't uh, want to uh, listen to their employees because they're um, under such pressure from Wall Street. And we've got to address that problem. And we've got to educate um, the next generation of managers that you you have a choice. You can manage only by responding to Wall Street, or you can get good profits and good long-term returns to share owners and provide good jobs by investing in the workforce, by listening to them so that you get the value of, of their ideas for how to improve uh, operations and how to innovate in their product markets. So, We've got to really educate managers that they have a choice. And then we have to hold them accountable. Uh, employees themselves have to rebuild their own bargaining power so that they can uh, uh, influence what's going on. And they have to vote with their feet by going, leaving employers that uh, aren't giving them an opportunity to have an impact on, uh, uh, on how they work and how the organization functions and how to solve the big problems in, in uh uh, in their markets and in society, and go to the employers that really do listen to them and provide these opportunities. So, so we've got to shift the momentum both from to counter some of these pressures from Wall Street and to give employees new opportunities to have a voice uh, in in how they work and where they work. So, part of that uh, has in the past been with unions, and you mentioned these companies that show that they are working well, have uh, union labor, and yet we know that all the challenges that that has faced, unions have faced uh, in this country over the last uh, relatively few years. How, How do we counter that? What is the way to go about that? First, we have to educate the the American public to the failure of our labor law to protect workers who really do want to get a voice at work. And then secondly, we need to listen to workers themselves. In Seattle, you have had uh, some of the most innovative new efforts to bring voice to workers from home health care workers organizing to the the fight for 15, but uh, negotiating a gradual increase in wages uh, to examples where uh, Uber drivers are being given new rights that they they uh, might not have uh, in other parts of the country. Workers are saying, look, our labor law is broken and we're going to just have to work around it and find new ways to uh, to get a voice. And out of experiments like that, I believe we'll start lighting a fire among other workers around the country to say, gee, Maybe we can do some of the same things, and eventually we can then change our public policies to open up to new forms of organizing. Yes, 
Some workers will want traditional collective bargaining, and that still will work uh, for for in some settings. But I think we're going to have to invent new ways of of giving workers themselves the tools to uh, to drive change. Information technology that that tells them where the good jobs are and the bad jobs are. Support for moving to those good jobs if necessary. Um, a floor of benefits that travel with people across jobs so that they're not so tied to uh, to an individual firm. So I think these are the the uh, the unions of the future, if we want to talk uh, and use that language. Uh, we'll invent some new ones. Uh, the workers themselves are inventing them. And uh, we'll, we'll bring the labor movement along in working in cooperation with those employers that uh, accept the legitimacy of, of worker voice, and I think we'll 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 find that we can uh, we can solve some of these problems. The word education and becoming more informed really shines through there, and you've said it very specifically as well, Professor Koken. So here we have the opportunity with this book, shaping the future of work great information education uh, within a, you know a couple hundred pages is available to us the other thing is that you do offer what has been uh, maybe to your surprise an online course that really is available to anyone who finds themselves interested in wanting to to pursue getting this information absolutely i've had a great time uh, offering this online course and it'll start I'll, I'll offer it again starting on March uh, 28th of uh, uh, this this month. And it's called Shaping the Future of Work. And we basically engage the next generation workforce in a discussion of, of all these issues about what they can do individually. And a lot of it is making sure they get a good education and stay engaged in lifelong learning and update their skills, both technical and uh, organizational skills so they can work in teams and they can solve problems and they can communicate. And then we look uh, at uh, some of these these examples of leading firms so that they, they have a sense of what they should be asking for at the workplace. And then we talk uh, about these new forms of, of worker mobilizing and uh, provide examples of what's working and, and what's not working. Uh, so that's uh, an opportunity. I invite uh, all of your listeners to to join us in the course, it's free, it's uh, flexible. People can sample for what uh, parts of the course they want. They can just sign up by going to MITx uh, or and, and then look for the course called Shaping the Future of Work, and uh, we'll go from there. And, and I really enjoy teaching it because it's a whole new adventure. It's not giving 50-minute lectures like we uh, have been trained to do. It's all by video and it's all by discussion uh, forums back and forth and engaging uh, engaging people to learn from each other and, and from a lot of the people who are bringing the innovations. Uh, we bring lots of innovative people into uh, into the class discussion. So so I think it's a it's a great way to teach this. It's a great way to to get out to a larger number of people for them to uh, share their stories and their experiences and to learn from each other. And what is really so amazing and should not then uh, limit anyone is you said the online course is free. That's right. That's the whole idea of, of MIT's approach to online learning, to try to reach 
much uh, broader uh, audience of, of learners uh, to engage them and to help them, or for them to help us think about how to change our education experience here at MIT. So I, I link in my, my course with my MBAs into the online course. And so the MBAs participate in the class discussions. They listen and they learn from people out there in the workforce, and then they, they provide information and help facilitate the conversations and discussions. So it's a mutual learning process. And I think that, so we're all experimenting in, in where we should be taking education in the future. And I've, I really have uh, been uh, excited by uh, this possibility of, of reaching people all over the world uh, to engage in, in, in a discussion of these issues. So that really brings us back around to the earlier part of the, our conversation of making what we succeed or what we work for to succeed something that is going to involve the planet because it's really not possible for one to really be succeeding while others are suffering and not having enough. Somewhere that inequity explodes. Absolutely. And we uh, spend some time in the course talking about how these global supply chains can be managed so that the workers as far off as Bangladesh or China can also have uh, dignity in what they do and work under safe conditions and how we can monitor and uh, make sure that those conditions are meet our basic human values and core values for work. And that requires holding uh, corporations here in the United States like Nike and Apple and everyone else accountable for their full supply chain. But it also requires that we respect the need for workers to organize in those countries, in Bangladesh, in Vietnam, in China. And obviously not all of those countries respect human rights the same way we do. And so it's, it's an ongoing process. But I think if we we keep educating people all over the world uh, and show them that uh, some companies and, and some supply chains are working hard to manage these things. There was this terrible tragedy in Bangladesh at Rana Plaza where over uh, uh, 1,300 workers died when a factory collapsed. And out of that terrible tragedy has come a lot of innovation where labor and business and the brands here in Europe and in the United States uh, and the Bangladesh uh, government uh, are beginning to work together to try to improve conditions. They have a long way to go, but I'm hopeful that uh, we can create the kind of uh, institutions in those countries with the support of the big brands here in the United States and with us as consumers paying attention to uh, the, the products that we buy and the conditions under which uh, those products are, are produced. So if we pay attention and we start to uh, hold these companies accountable and look at what uh, they are doing uh, across the world, I think we can help our sisters and brothers uh, in some of these developing countries as well. You're painting such a, a beautiful picture of this great cooperation that 
can exist that is existing in some corners. And certainly through this online course, I would imagine there's ways to set up connections and build collaborations that will continue into good things in the future. That's the hope that uh, it isn't just uh, a seven-week educational exercise, but that uh, some connections are, are built, people stay engaged. Uh, it's really a call to action. And it's a call to action to say, uh, in, both in the book and in the course, to say, okay, now it's your turn to take responsibility for these issues. There are some tools available. There are lots of examples of, of good practices. There's a lot of work to be done, a lot of invention yet needed to create um, the conditions and the, the networks that, that, that are going to be needed to, to uh, get business and labor and government and educators to work together toward a common vision. But uh, young people today are so motivated to address big problems. That, that comes through in the surveys that we do. We ask them what's most important to them in, in choosing a job and a career. It comes out first being able to address big problems. And then secondly, yes, they want a good personal and family and work-life uh, uh, balance in, in, in what they do. And yes, they want to be respected and paid uh, fairly for what they do. But it's this blend of commitment to addressing the big problems in the world and being treated fairly that I think gives me confidence that the next generation is ready to take take on these issues. We just have to give them the opportunities to do so. That is truly hopeful. That's a really great motivation to keep moving forward. And isn't there a, a, a great entity, a, a website set up for this, that graduates of the course uh, set up speakingupforwork.com? That's right. It's uh, You can just go on the web and just type in speak up for work. Dot com and we've got lots of materials on there and uh, a summary of the course from last year and what we learned from it uh, together and we'll uh, continue to feed uh, materials as we as we go forward uh, this year so I want to make this uh, uh, a, a continuous learning uh, process and a and a, a hub for where we people can come and uh, and uh, stay engaged uh, as as we go along. But I, I, I think it's very, very important. I'm, like uh, so many people, uh, worried about the present moment. There's too much uh, divisive rhetoric in our politics. There's too much uh, lack of mutual respect in uh, uh, the dialogue that's out there. And I think we've got to recommit to working together. And I believe when we really start to respect each other, we can disagree and we can negotiate, and we can resolve our differences. And out of those those uh, uh, discussions, often comes very creative solutions. And I'm I'm so proud of what you are all doing in Seattle because you've sat down respectfully and you've come up with some some new ideas and new approaches, uh, and you've demonstrated you can break new ground. And I think you are a model for uh, other con- other cities around the country. And uh, I think you can help inspire the kind of uh, uh, collective interaction that we need to make progress. 
Well, that is certainly good insight, good information for us, something that perhaps then is a foundation to keep building on. And I really feel that there is more that we will be able to build with by engaging in this online course that you're offering us through MITx, that this will really give us a way to collaborate, which seems to be very, very important, and to see how we can bridge those differences and we can come up with solutions uh, as as opposed to just a lot of rhetoric that's uh, people bashing. That's right. That's right. Well, we have to all keep at it. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we will uh, all work together on these issues. Indeed. Well, you certainly are bringing such a great focus, a good spotlight on it for us this morning, Professor Koken. Uh, Shaping the Future of Work is a great book, really important information and education for each one of us. Of course, we can pick it up from our favorite book sources, correct? That's right, from Amazon. Or you can go on the speakupforwork.com and just scroll to the uh, bottom of the page, and there's a way to get it directly, uh, either in e-form or in print form at a deep discount uh, from the publisher, and I would encourage people to do that. Uh, I want to get this book out to as many people as possible. And we want to support that because it means each and every one of our futures. So, Professor Koken, thank you so greatly. It's been so insightful and such a pleasure to speak with you this morning. Well, thank you very much, Kate. Keep up the good work.